beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. It only feels appropriate to remind you that on this episode last year, my 10 takeaways for 2020, episode 97, I accidentally uploaded the unedited version of the show. And so if you opened this episode that morning, you were treated to an hour plus of all of my ums and awkward pauses I believed I talked to my children off mic for a few moments. It was, in fact, a fitting end to 2020, or maybe in some ways, an omen for 2021. I remember when I did that, I got some messages from people who thought that I had purposely uploaded the unedited version of the episode as a way to sort of express that I was letting go of perfectionism or something like that. (laughs) But in fact, no. It was a mistake that created, I suppose, a whole separate takeaway from those end-of-year reflections. I've checked and triple-checked this one. I think we're going to be all right, friends, listening to these 10 takeaways from 2021 in this last week of a very long year. Make sure you stay till the end of this show. I have a pretty big announcement at the end of the episode. So let's get to it. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other, and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. 
This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. I've shared many, many times how much I love this last week of the year, this stretch of time between the chaos of Christmas and the celebration of a new year, a new calendar. I have always loved the quiet in this week. The streets of Los Angeles are slow. In our house, we're still padding around in our pajamas. There's still Christmas decorations about and bits of wrapping paper to be found. We're still munching on leftovers. And I love this time to sit and reflect on the last 12 months and to dream of the future of the next 12 months. I spend a lot of time sitting in this week of the year, and it is actually kind of a sacred ritual for me. I go through all of the journal prompts for the 10 questions to ask yourself at the end of the year. I walked through those journal prompts back in episode 148. I go through all of them myself, putting down my answers in my journal, digging a little deeper into those questions than I did when I was writing them. I spend some time looking back at work stuff and just rhythms and data and what worked, what didn't. I think about what our family life felt like in the last year, what we will remember from these seasons, what we want to improve upon, how our relationships changed and grew. It's a lot of reflection, but also like that's my wheelhouse. You know, like I love a spirit analysis. And I know that not everyone does or even relates to spending that much time with their nose in a journal. But no matter whether you kind of keep it on the surface, make a few notes, or if you treat it like I do, like almost like a spiritual experience, this is still such a good time to release some things, pain, memory, burdens, toxic stuff, and also to let your imagination run wild dreaming about the future. Even if you have an inkling that next year for reasons of your own or for pandemic reasons or for any reasons at all, you think maybe won't be all that different than the year we just went through. Even if that feels like your instinct and your you know, gearing up for more of the same. These pockets of quiet, this space that we create when we journal or when we sit in silence, this is when dreams bubble to the surface. Even if they're not dreams that we're able to realize in the immediate future, it's when I think our heart and our spirit speaks to us about what we may want for the big picture future, like the direction that we're headed even if we can't exactly see more than a few feet in front of us. Remember that question that I posed to you a bit ago that is just a great question to ask others, to ask ourselves on a really regular basis, what direction are we headed? Because especially in an uncertain world or in a roller coaster season, we really may not see the door or window that we're aiming for, but we can almost always take the temperature 
of where we are and the direction that we're headed, and if it is the direction that we want to be headed. And if you think that was the last of my mixed metaphors in this episode, well, then you have not been listening to this show very long. So what I want to share with you on this episode, even though I'm still in the middle of my own kind of journaling and reflection this week, I do want to share with you 10 takeaways from 2021 that are personal to me. 10 Things to Tell You is about conversation starters and journal prompts and like giving you the questions to ask others and yourself. But I also love to participate in the process and share my answers, my thoughts, my reflections, even though they're very specific to me and you know what's going on in my life, which may very well be so different than what's going on in your life. I love sharing my stuff as an example of what this can look like. In fact, I wrote a whole book about it called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. This is me, friends, going first. And the first takeaway of 2021 that I want to share with you is this. Having a word of the year works. Do you have a word of the year? Did you have a word of the year in 2021? Are you planning one for 2022? This practice has maybe gone a little bit out of favor. It was very popular years ago, like during the blogging years, maybe a little after. It was a very popular thing to pick a word of the year and everyone posted them. And a lot of times the words were inspirational, hopeful. And then I feel like maybe people were tiring of doing it anyway, but certainly after 2020 fell apart in such a spectacular fashion, I feel like choosing a word of the year kind of fell out of favor for 2021. But for me, my word of the year meant almost as much to me as any other time that I've done this. I've chosen a word of the year or a phrase of the year many times over the last, I don't know, 12-ish years, probably since I was in my blogging days. There's some years I took off, it just didn't feel right, it felt forced, felt cheesy or something. And then there are other years where I really felt like I wanted to choose a theme to orient myself around. I wanted a bumper sticker phrase, if you will, as a bit of guidance, as an anchor to you know what I was trying to accomplish or move toward during that time. Well, for 2021, I chose the word ease. Ease. <laughs> Just saying it out loud, it like almost makes me laugh because this was actually one of the hardest years of my life. And I do feel like choosing the word ease in December of 2020 was meant to be hopeful, I guess, meant to be a reminder not to make everything so hard. When I chose that word, I was like in the throes of marketing and launching my first book. And so I think I chose it because I thought I was going to need a reminder not to make everything so complicated. Like when given a choice, take the path of ease versus the path of ridiculous effort or, you know, to choose the simple version over the layered version. That's where I think I was coming from when I chose the word ease. And I just had no idea. I could have had no idea how much I really needed that message 
over and over and over again, I needed to remind myself to do things with ease instead of approaching everything with tension. And as it turned out, the opposite of what I thought would be true is actually true. So when you're having a really hard time in your life, choosing a word like ease feels completely counterintuitive. It feels like advocating for laziness or like taking the easy way out or something like that, like sort of negative connotations. But for me, reminding myself to be at ease, to follow a path of ease made many difficult months better because I wasn't adding layers of muck all over it. And so let me give you an example of where I used this word. And it's actually, you know, came into play into some really big decisions in our life. I used the word ease around a lot of my book launch stuff. I mean, dumb details that wouldn't matter to you, but like choosing what to put in the boxes that I mailed out to other authors and influencer friends to how I ended up choosing to deliver the pre-order bonuses, the secret tapes. Like, you know, again, these are sort of like dumb details, but I chose over and over again, the path of ease over the path of complication. Even when it came to choosing our house, and this is a really big decision. And like, I'm certainly not saying that you should make your largest life decisions you know, based on your word of the year. But if you believe, as I do, that that word of the year was chosen, you chose it because you really wanted to incorporate that idea or that theme into more of your life for some reason, for some deeper reason, then yes, it definitely came into play in some of these really huge decisions, like which house we chose. When we were on our house hunt, which was actually a very short amount of time. It took us a lot less time to find a home than we were anticipating. We started looking for a new house in January of 2021, thinking from friends' experience and the crazy market right now and all of those things, thinking it might take us a good year to find something and then, you know, tacking on the time that renovations or things might take on top of that. Like we sort of started this house hunt thinking that the whole process might be like, I don't know, a two-year thing or something. And we found this house that I'm sitting in at this moment in three weeks. We actually found it on Sunday of the week that my book came out on Tuesday. So it was like a very, very big week in our family. And when we found this house, we actually had an offer in on another house that I loved that we had found within a couple of weeks. And They were both great options. Like, you know, what a great problem to have. But one house was definitely going to be an easier transition than the other. One was going to need a lot of work, a lot of construction, a lot of time, honestly. And the other house was going to be pretty move-in ready. And the decision wasn't instantaneous by any means. But when we were weighing them out and I was going to be sad to lose whichever house we didn't choose, I did remind myself in those conversations that ease was my priority in 2021, that if all things were fairly equal, I wanted to make decisions that caused me less stress and that would feel like 
relaxing instead of striving. Now, obviously, that's not all that goes into making a house decision. And obviously, moving is never, ever relaxing. But you can see what I mean about like a theme and just moving in a way, walking in the world in such a way as to be more in alignment with your goals or who you say you're trying to be or who you want to be in the future. And for me, ease came to mean so much to me in this year that it touched on so many areas of my life. And I just, I don't think that having a word of the year is a necessity. I don't even know that I'll have it every year of my life. But when you do have an anchor point like that, when you have a sort of guiding star, a theme that helps you make decisions or helps you create your priorities, it was really helpful when you get bogged down in all of the other factors that come into decisions and priorities. So ease it was, even though ease it wasn't <laughs> always. I have chosen a word for 2022. I'm a little apprehensive about it, although I think I was apprehensive about choosing ease and look at me raving about it now. But my word for the year, I'm nervous to say it out loud, but I'm just going to say it and reserve the right to scrap it if it doesn't work because there is no word of the year police. The word that I am ruminating on for 2022 is practice. After the upheaval of the last couple of years, and me letting a lot of different things kind of go loosey-goosey in my life, habits, relationships, rituals, all kinds of things. I'm just really craving routine and self-discipline. And the word that feels the most right for me around those ideas right now is practice. It feels like a gentler word than discipline or even than ritual, which has maybe more spiritual connotations when some of the things that I want to work towards a daily practice, maybe some of them are spiritual, but some of them are not. And so I felt like this word was a little more all-encompassing, very inclusive for the different things that I want to practice at in 2022. So that is my next word of the year. And that is the very first takeaway that I wanted to share with you about 2021. The next takeaway is hard fought and definitely not hard won. We are still in the fight of it. And that is communication is everything. While I was fighting my own battles in the last eight to 10 months, one of the things that I let fall by the wayside was communication. And by that, I mean texting, emailing, quality conversations, confrontations if needed, like all manners of communication. If you can imagine it, you can also imagine that I dropped the ball on it. Now, the grace that I have given myself around dropping that ball is that when we are going through hard times, balls get dropped. And sometimes it's one thing and sometimes it's another. And for me, what I kind of choose to neglect was communication. And in some weeks, that was absolutely necessary. I had to tend to exactly what was in front of me and exactly the body that I live in. And that did not include communication with anyone outside of my body or my home. But other times, and I'm talking many, many weeks and months that went by, 
I did not prioritize communication and it made a real dent in my life. It took a real toll on some relationships, some friendships. It meant I missed some professional opportunities because I just couldn't pull it together in communication. It meant that I ended up occasionally frustrated or resentful because something didn't get done or didn't get done the way I wanted it to because guess what? I didn't communicate about it. And honestly, the toll here was pretty great. And I'm still wrestling with it and am still bummed on some of it because it feels like something that was in fact in my control. And there's so much that is not in our control. And there's so much that you have to release or have the best of intentions for in relationships. But lack of communication, especially complete radio silence from me, it is deeply affecting my life. And I know that I've said some of these words before about the same thing. I've complained and also tried to troubleshoot and like all the ways I've talked about this over the years about texting and, you know, school and activity communication and DMs. And like, you know, there's a lot of ways we've talked about the influx of communication that we have in the world these days and like how overwhelming it can be logistically and also from an anxiety standpoint where I often have to really gear myself up to communicate in a meaningful way. And so getting behind on those communications, which is so easy to do, it just exacerbates all the things that are wrong and hard about it to the point that I've now had to make some sort of drastic measures, which again, I'm still in the middle of. But one you might have noticed is if you have emailed me in the last month, you got an immediate auto reply that says, I am terrible at email and gives you lots of other options for getting an answer from me or from someone on my team that does not include your message sitting in my inbox for six months. This is probably something I should have implemented a very long time ago. But now after the fails, the communication fails that I have described in 2021, I just, I could not keep lying to myself and believing that I was going to get this under control or that I was going to fix this habit or that I was someday going to wake up without the anxiety of all the world's communication on this little device in my pocket. I had to fix it. The easiest one to fix was the work one. I had to just reroute most of my work communication to someone else who could handle it better than I can. And that feels embarrassing to say out loud. It feels like a fail that I cannot manage email the way other people seem to be able to manage their email. But that was honestly the one with the most obvious solution. What is much harder is managing, tending to, fostering, nurturing relationships, friendships that rely on communication in general, and especially in this moment in time, rely on digital communication. And so this is painful. It sucks that I'm going to really have damaged relationships by not being able to pull this part of my life together. And I'm just sort of having to figure out like how to be in relationship when I'm overwhelmed and possibly how to grieve the part of myself and the relationship with others that leaves us both feeling let down by it. This is sort of a Debbie Downer takeaway. I, you know, I wish I could have all happy takeaways from 2021, but (laughs) I don't. I have a mixed bag of takeaways, as I'm sure 
you do too. That was number two, communication is everything. Number three, 2021 takeaways. Number three is home is where you can breathe best. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Now, I could do a whole episode around the concept of home and all that I have thought about when we moved houses after 11 years in our old house that I loved so much, in the house where we raised our babies, in the house where we threw hundreds of parties and gatherings, in a house that was known for a place of fun and warmth, a house where we had our first fish tank and brought home our puppy dog. And like, you know, there's just millions and millions of memories that go into a home especially one that you have spent so much time and money and energy really making your own, really personalizing it to your exact specifications, which is what we did with our other home that was nearly 100 years old, but we really made it ours in the 11 years that we lived there. But there was really no denying that we needed to move. And 
I was the one, in fact, in our family who was really the most gung-ho to move for logistical reasons. We live very far from where our kids go to school and where most of our friends in Los Angeles live. We lived very far from our community and our activities. Also, after our home was robbed in 2018, while I was at home, my relationship to that space shifted, not irreparably. I was able to live there for years afterwards, happily, but definitely after some space and healing from that trauma combined with the pandemic lockdown, like I was ready for some fresh energy. I was ready for a new phase of our family life. I felt like ushering kids into the teenage years was going to be better in more of an open layout home instead of our 1920s home that was a bunch of small rooms. Lots and lots of reasons why we decided to move and lots and lots of thoughts this year about what makes a home. And where I landed, where this takeaway ended up being was on the idea that home is where you can breathe best. And I say that whether you're talking about the four walls of your house or whether you're talking about your hometown, your home state, your home country, where you can take a deep breath in versus a constricted breath is a sign of home. I learned that lesson for the first time 20 years ago when I moved to Los Angeles. I have now, as of 2021, lived in Los Angeles 20 years. I moved here in the fall of 2001, also one of the hardest personal years of my life. And what I noticed right away was that I could breathe in Los Angeles. And it almost became kind of a joke, right? Because especially back then, even more so than now, Los Angeles is like known worldwide for its smog. Like it's not exactly known for its deep breaths. But what happens to me here in Los Angeles is that I can breathe. My chest opens. I do love the air here. Those deep breaths that I'm able to take when the airplane lands in LA, that is a symbol of freedom for me. And I always notice it every time I go away and come back. I notice how my body feels in this city and that I can breathe here. So I learned it on a different level this year when we moved houses, as much as I loved our other house, as I already described, it just had a different feel, a totally different vibe. This new house is very open. It has tall ceilings. It has a lot of space. And when I say that, I don't mean like the square footage. I mean like it has space for me to breathe. I feel like I can breathe in this house. And it had become over time and slowly without me being fully conscious of it, it had become where I was breathing less in the other house. I was taking shallower and shallower breaths in that space, mostly since the home invasion. And coupled with the lockdown, I was starting to feel like I was suffocating there a little bit. This is all mental and metaphorical except kind of physical, but I hope you're tracking with me. In the new house with fresh energy, a fresh start, it's not a new house, actually. The house is decades old, but for us, for our family, for the vibe of the place, it felt like I could breathe again. I still feel that way. Even though it's just been eight months in, I still feel like my chest expands here instead of hunches over. And for me, if that's what we're calling a lesson that's going to be one of my big takeaways. It is that home is where you breathe best. 
Number four, one of my favorites on this whole list, number four is celebrating yourself can be the most fulfilling of all. When I launched my book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, it was a lifelong dream for me. It was something I had wanted to do, you know, become an author since I was a little tiny girl. But one of the things that has really kind of taken over social media, as so many people are able to write books and launch books that are doing this internet work, one of the things that has really sort of taken over is the book launch celebration. It is very, very akin to a wedding or something. It is like very much like, do you really want to be married or do you really just want to have a wedding? Which is something my mom asked me when I was in college and had multiple serious boyfriends and would try to talk about weddings. My mom would be like, yeah, yeah, the wedding is a party. Do you actually want to be married? (laughs) And while for sure, Deep in my heart for almost the entirety of my life, I wanted to be an author and cared more about being an author, a writer, than I cared about having a book launch party. For sure, it is something that can kind of get mixed up in your head. And when you get a book deal, it is one of the things that you look forward to, much like getting engaged. And so I had dreamed for years of like what a book launch party would be, what a little, you know, kind of book tour might be. If I was able to go around the US and, you know, share my words in bookstores or have book signings, like there's these things that you sort of dream of. And I held tight to that dream even through most of 2020 because I really thought, well, my book's coming out in February 2021. Like the pandemic will be over by then, right? Or at least we'll feel safe enough to be able to do things. And, you know, at this time last year, it was becoming very, very clear that by the beginning of February 2021, vaccines were still not widely available. And I just, I was not going to be able to throw a big party, do any kind of book tour. And the whole thing was just not going to be what I imagined it was going to be. And I let myself be sad about that for a minute, but it really wasn't like the devastation that I feared it was going to be. Maybe because I'd had a good year to get used to the, you know, possible idea that it wasn't going to be that. It wasn't like some of my friends who launched books at the very beginning of the pandemic and really had to scrap all of their marketing plans. That wasn't my story, and I realized pretty quickly that what I did want was to be an author and that parties, book launch parties or book readings or any of those other things, those can be done in any year. You don't even have to be launching something to do a celebration like that at another time. That what I really, really wanted to do was get this book into the world, get it into your hands. I came to that conclusion pretty quickly. And so then I was able to make the book launch day, actually the book launch week, exactly what I wanted it to be. Like what I would choose for me. You know, if I wasn't throwing a party for anyone else or for anyone else to have a good time. I wanted the day my book released into the world to be a day that I wanted. And so I filled it with all of my favorite things. I ordered a big, red, poofy, outrageous dress that is still one of my favorite things I've ever purchased and worn. I ordered myself chicken wings for lunch. I had champagne, cold and ready. 
And then to my surprise, because people are awesome, I also got some amazing deliveries that day. People sent cookies and cakes and flowers as a congratulations. Like it just was the most special celebration. I went over in the afternoon and saw one friend who wrote my foreword, Jenna Fisher. We stood outside six feet apart on her front porch. She wore sequins for the occasion. We popped more champagne. It was just, it was magical. It's really one of my favorite memories, not just of 2021, but of my whole life. Then that night, Jeff hosted a Zoom and he invited like so many of our friends and family from completely across the country, across the world, even like all these different time zones, people that never would have been able to be at a book launch if I'd had a traditional book launch. We got on Zoom for literally, I don't know. 15 minutes, like 20 minutes max. It was short. And, you know, raised a glass, toasted to the book. It wasn't a long thing, but it was so, so special. It was really one of the things that taught me that you can actually have celebrations across Zoom in a way that does feel good and like extra special. Because again, I wouldn't have been able to see all their faces or hear their well wishes if I'd only had an in-person thing. It just was like, one of the best days ever. And it was simple and it was flat out celebrating myself. I planned all of that. I mean, besides the amazing deliveries I got, but like I prioritized making the day I wanted and it ended up being so fulfilling. I know that a lot of times we want to be surprised. We want to be doted on. We want someone else to celebrate us. And for sure that can really make a person feel loved. That can really make you feel seen and can be just a joyous delight to have someone else shower celebration upon you. But I also really learned that celebrating yourself, doing it yourself, and unapologetically toasting to yourself is fulfilling in a totally different way, like in a deep, meaningful, soul-shifting kind of way. That's how I feel about the day my book launched. And I know from some of you, because I got messages for weeks, months after that celebration, people saying that they saw me unapologetically celebrating myself, which yes, felt like sometimes slightly awkward, but I was having so much fun that I didn't care. But people saw that and they were able then to take their birthday celebrations into their own hands. They were able to celebrate their promotions, whatever it was, because they'd seen someone else do it on the internet. And that is a huge takeaway for me, of course, the celebrating myself part, but also my own message of sharing myself, celebrating myself (laughs) was meaningful to others because it was just, it was huge. That was huge. And I feel like I'll never get over it. And I feel like that's one of my very favorite, favorite takeaways of the year, that celebrating yourself can be the most fulfilling of all. Okay. Number five, this is a real This is a real pivot from all the champagne toasts I just rattled on about. Number five is you are never ready for health problems. We learned this in a number of ways this year in our family. Of course, this is not the first time that we have had to learn this lesson, but it felt like there was some real extra health lessons being learned in 2021. 
and the takeaways that you're just never ready for them. And I know this has got to be true for so many of us in a pandemic that even though you are fully aware that a pandemic is going on, when it hits your household, you're still never quite ready. We did not have COVID in our household this year, but we did have a hip replacement. That was Jeff. He's needed this replacement for years. And yet still we were not ready. Well, maybe he was. I'll only speak for myself. I was not ready for the stress and emotion of that surgery and recovery, even though we had had years basically to prepare for it. Other health stuff in the year that we had no time to prepare for included me falling on my face, tripping and taking a bad spill in our backyard onto brick. I knocked myself out, gave myself a concussion. It was not great. And even though I kind of tried to brush it off pretty quickly, not like within minutes or anything, but I tried to act like it didn't affect me beyond the day that it happened. Looking back, it's clear that it actually did affect me in a few different ways that I never got confirmation on medically, but I just know that that fall rattled me for longer than I wanted to admit at the time. Also in the spring, that fall came on the heels of a sort of spring and early summer health battle that also was unexpected for me. I'm not trying to be coy about just calling it random health problems. There was no specific diagnosis that I could share with you. It was a combination of things and we never got full clarity on exactly what was going on. It was possibly partially a bacterial infection possibly an allergic reaction. I don't know, but I had some very intense and debilitating inflammation and swelling. It sucked. Nobody could do much about it. I spent six weeks on and off in the urgent care. It just was a a total nightmare. And I know that it was really made a lot worse by stress that was happening in our personal life. We were moving. There was some very you know, public hard things that were happening. And I was very, very enormously stressed, which meant that my body was struggling to heal. I just could not shut my nervous system down enough to rest and and calm itself. And it went on for several months. And I just really felt like I couldn't get it under control for a long time, which then resulted in, I think it's all tied. Again, this is just conjecture, but I think it's all tied to When I really took a mental health dip in the fall, it was after I had really been struggling with my body, being on the fritz. I finally just could not keep up like the positive attitude anymore. And I just spun out into some darkness in August, September. And all of this just felt like so out of my hands, like not understanding what was wrong, not being able to heal it the fall and the concussion, the mental health dip, like all of it felt like I just couldn't get my head above water for most of 2021. I mean, probably starting in April, I guess, and not really seeing some good light around this until November. That is a long time to feel so out of control in my mind and body. And now that some of those issues have calmed themselves a bit and I'm able to look back with a little more clarity and, you know, not being in straight survival panic mode, but being able to look back over the year with a little more hindsight and wisdom, I can see like a hundred things I could have done differently. 
I can see how one thing toppled into the other, toppled into the other, how it was all affecting one another, like all at the same time. But just when you're in it, and I might be talking to you who is in it at this moment, when you are in it, it is so hard to see outside of it. And you can't just like take advice or take medicine or whatever for just like one little piece because it's such a big ball of wax that you just, you don't even know where to start or untangle it. And you just have no perspective on all the different ways that things are falling apart. So it was a struggle for me to find some peace in 2021 because it felt like something, one area was always on the fritz. And I'm sure that's not the last time in my life when it will feel like that. The takeaway here is that we are never ready for our health problems. But I do hope that writing some stuff down as I was learning it, sharing it here with you and on social media, that next time there'll just be an awareness or I don't know. I don't know. But this was about 42 lessons learned at once and definitely one of the biggest of my year. Okay, number six, raising the vibe a little bit. (laughs) Number six is the thing you've resisted might be the thing you need the most. Don't we all kind of hate this lesson? But what a joy when we do let ourselves finally learn the thing we needed to learn. Here's how this manifested in my life in 2021, that the thing I've resisted might be the thing I really need. If you've been around for a while on everything that I've shared online over the last decade plus, blogging, social media, multiple podcasts, all the things, you might know that I very purposefully do not lead an intentional community. Now, I think that by the nature of the thing, we are a community here. Like I love the thoughtful comments on social media. I love the great conversations that come out of these episodes, but I have always, always really encouraged the listeners of the show, the readers of my book, anyone that is taking in what I have to say, that they really should take these things into their own real life. Like, I really want you to share your stuff, but I don't need you to share it with me. I really want you to share your stuff with your people, with your partners, with your besties, with your journal. Like, I am really trying to empower all of us, because I'm learning as we go, to take these things that we learn on the internet and invest it into our real lives, into our offline relationships and growth. This is really something I feel very passionately about. And so because that's kind of always been my party line, and I don't know that I've always said it exactly like that, but that's always kind of been my vibe. I have really purposefully resisted the idea of literally leading a community type project. But this year, in June of this year, kind of right smack in the middle of when I was going through all the health stuff, I launched a Patreon project primarily because I really did, after all these years, truly want to lead a book club, specifically Stephen King Summer Book Club. But I knew that I wanted to do it beyond Stephen King Summer. Like I really, really wanted to lead a book club and maybe finally have even bigger conversations than that. I wanted to be able to have a place to share some stuff that I don't share on this show with its, you know, 
tens of thousands of listeners. I kind of wanted like a smaller group. And I had been resisting this idea for a long time, like a very long time. All of my friends that are podcasters and beyond, like all of them have very intentionally created some kind of community space, either in a Patreon or like in a shorter term course they teach or something. So they're getting to know people better. Like there's just a lot more interaction. I have been one of the sole holdouts on this idea because I just, first of all, wasn't sure I could manage it. I do have people that help me with all of this stuff now behind the scenes, but for the most part, the creativity and the production of this is me alone. I'm a solo deal right now. And so I just felt like I cannot take one more thing on my plate. But really wanting to launch the book club and Stephen King Summer sort of pushed me over the edge of really wanting to experiment with a community-based project. So I started the Patreon. I very specifically don't let people buy for the year It's a month-to-month membership because I don't want anyone to waste their money. And I wasn't sure if I was going to last a year over on Patreon. Like I always treated it as an experiment, a fun project. We were just going to try this. If we all hated it, we would pull the plug, you know, no harm, no foul. I really want to be better at trying new things and not feeling like, you know, it has to be perfectly executed upon first try. So I launched Secret Stuff, that's the name of my Patreon, in June And it was from minute one, probably because I started with Stephen King Summer, the most fun that I was having, especially in those months of health stuff. It was a complete bright light this summer and then into the fall. Once Stephen King Summer was over, we did a nonfiction book club. I introduced the secret stuff symposiums, which are just conversations that we all have together. You don't have to read a book ahead of time. There is no homework. We just have a topic and we meet on Zoom. I turned the conversations into podcast episodes for the secret stuff members who couldn't be there live. It has just been the one of the absolute best parts. Besides launching my book, it has absolutely been the best part of 2021 for me. And no one is more shocked by this revelation than me because I'm the one who resisted any kind of a, a membership or a group together. I, I resisted for so long for real reasons, but it was exactly what I needed. It was not only fun, it was stimulating. It was like a breath of fresh air. The Secret Stuff members are awesome and thoughtful. And if you're in there, I just appreciate you so much. I love our chats. Anyone can join, but I'm really not meaning for this to be a sales pitch because this is about me. (laughs) I mean, this is my takeaway from 2021, that the thing I had resisted the most was the thing I needed. And if you're listening to this and you have something in your life that you've really, really resisted, maybe you're resisting for good reason. I'm not trying to get people to like go against their intuition or their instinct or anything like that. But if there's a way that you can try it and sort of see how it feels, it might be just exactly what you need in your life. I learned this a hundred times over. I learned this with every single meeting that we have. When we got done with the holiday party in December, the Secret Stuff holiday party, I literally cried when we got off out of just like joy and relief that that project was so fulfilling and such a bright spot in this wonky year. And I cannot say that that is a lesson that you learn every single year. You know, I don't do something every single year that is new and scary. I'm not a crazy risk taker. 
especially not in my work. And I don't think I could even handle that kind of risk every single year. But for this season and in this last 12 months, when a lot of things were not going the way I expected, the Secret Stuff Patreon exceeded my expectations and more. So when I sat down to make this list, a few of the takeaways from 2021 came right to the top. They came right to me. I did not have to dig deep or meditate on the various lessons of the year. This was one of the first ones that popped into my mind that I knew, I knew, I knew I wanted to share with you. Number seven on 10 takeaways, 2021. Like this is like, I'll take obvious for 500, Alex, but I am going to share it with you anyway, because I apparently learned this lesson that one should definitely learn before their 40s. (laughs) But number seven is people are on their own journey. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Now, this is something that you might know intellectually, but you don't necessarily let yourself know in reality. So I'm talking about in your family, I'm talking about as a parent, I'm talking about, you know, what we see and scroll through on social media that people are on their own journey. And there is really only so much that you can purposefully do to affect someone else's journey. Now, I do think that very often we are affecting one another's journeys, but it seems to be most natural and most effective when it is not purposeful. So by that, I mean, you might really change someone's life and not even know you're doing it by just your example, by a recommendation you give, by the way that you walk through the world. When we try hard to really affect someone else's journey, meaning we give advice, solicited or not, when we try to subtly steer someone in a certain direction, when we full-blown hogtie someone and force them to do it your way or the highway, all the different ways that we often try to impose our own will, either on someone else's journey or for them to join our journey that we are very much marching through, it just never quite works, does it? It just doesn't work that way. You really cannot make people do it the way you want them to do it. You cannot make people be nice. You cannot make people get better. You cannot make people love you. You just can't. And I hate this lesson. 
I hate this takeaway. <laughs> but I do feel like I learned it at a different level in 2021. I learned it in a level that is allowing me to walk with a little lighter burden into 2022 because I don't feel like I have to carry the weight of other people's journeys anymore. I don't feel like everyone's life is going to be messed up because I didn't say my piece or I wasn't manipulative enough or I wasn't, you know, able to bend someone else to my will and therefore the whole world is going to suffer. I just don't feel that so much anymore. I told my therapist who we were talking about this at our last session of the year when she was sort of asking some things about the year. And I was sort of saying some of these same things with with specifics that she has walked through with me. And I made a joke about how I'm not carrying the burden of other people's journeys with me into 2022. I made a joke that I was tired. Like I just dropped all that burden weight because I was tired. And she sort of corrected me to be like, no, that's a different thing. Like being tired is giving up on people and occasionally giving up on yourself. And what I am describing in therapy and to you now is not a tired of like, I just can't do this anymore, save yourself. It's more a tired of wisdom. It's a, I feel this bone tired lesson here because finally I have now actually learned it. And learning lessons is of course exhausting, but really it's a sad kind of freedom also that everyone is on their own journey and that we are on ours. They can't impose their will on us either. And it's a sad wisdom, a sad freedom, but isn't it lighter? Doesn't it make the walking easier? That's how I'm feeling as we end this year. And and that's the energy with which I am crossing this finish line and starting a next chapter anew. Okay, number eight, we are in the home stretch now. Number eight is I am a writer. And yes, this is a takeaway for me of this year, even though it's something I've known since I was about six years old, that I love being an author. This was a dream. It is surreal to see my name on the front of a book. It lends a credibility to my work here on the internet, the work I have been doing for a long time. All of that is meaningful. But the root of it, the thing that matters the most is that this year, I finally felt like I could say without qualification that I am a writer. I write. I think writing is my gift. I think it's my calling. I genuinely believe it's what I was put on this earth to do and that these other things that I do, podcasting, social media, leading a book club, they support and are all simply adjacent to the most important thing I do, which is write. This shouldn't be such a life-altering takeaway as it is because I've actually been a writer for a long time. I've called myself a writer. I've labeled myself a writer at social gatherings. I introduce myself as a writer. But I do believe in 2021, it really solidified in my soul 
that I am a writer. I actually think this process really solidified in 2020 after I had written my book and turned it in and then went through the editing process. Nothing will make you feel like a real writer than the grueling and tedious work of editing. That's what makes me feel like a writer, not the vomit on the page word salad that comes out in the first draft. The real work of it is in the editing and the shaping. And that mostly happened for me in 2020. And that is when I really started to feel a shift in my soul of casually being a writer and then being like a writer because I am delayed in lots of things. I am a slow learner in lots of things. I feel like it didn't really deeply hit me until 2021, which is why it makes this takeaway list. And yes, publishing the book is a big part of that, but it wasn't the number one part of that. And I'm saying that because I know that there are probably people listening who they are writers in their soul also, and they think that having a book on bookshelves will finally really make them a writer. And for me, having a book on bookshelves is incredible And I do think that it makes me more of a writer to other people, like from an outside point of view. I have absolutely no hesitation in telling someone I'm a writer and I wrote this book. But on an inward journey, on the most important part of this knowledge, this inward either insecurity or worthiness or whatever it is, That's something we have to learn on our own. And that doesn't have anything to do with a book being on bookshelves. It's kind of a separate thing that I just didn't totally understand until I'd gone through it. And, you know, I had had friends, I'd had author friends tell me this. I have friends who have books out who they don't consider themselves to be writers. You know, they have books out because it supports their other work. They have books out because it it was the next natural business step or something like that. They have books out because they were talked into it by someone else for whatever reason, but they don't really consider themselves writers. For me, this lesson, this takeaway that I'm sharing, it was a real melding of the outside world seeing me as a writer and my own inner self really believing finally something about myself that I hid from for a long time. And maybe our takeaways are like this. You know, as I'm talking it through, I'm like, maybe some of our biggest takeaways in any given year are like the most obvious things to everyone else or just to conventional wisdom. But when we learn them, when we really learn something deep in our soul, you want to shout it from the rooftops, even if it's like basic knowledge. That's how I feel about proclaiming to you in the end of 2021, after I've published a book, after I have been writing to you on the internet for over a decade, I am now here to tell you, you guys, guess what? I'm a writer. (laughs) Okay, number nine. Number nine is something that I've shared a little bit about already, but I cannot let this year go by or a summation of this year go by without including it because it's really such a big part of our family life. But number nine is that parenting teens requires full attention. And I am just now learning this one. This is still a fairly new revelation to me because my kids, Lucy turned 12 in October, 
Finch turned 10 in October. So we are still at the beginning of this teen journey. But I remember when they were babies. I've written and talked a lot about that the baby years were hard on me. I had a lot, a lot of anxiety during that time, a lot of postpartum anxiety. Sleep deprivation is a huge trigger for my mental health. And of course, when you have babies, sleep deprivation is sort of part of the deal. And I remember having friends tell me as those years kind of loosened and got a little easier for me that friends told me, oh, just wait till the teenage years and it just gets harder even than these baby years, but it's like harder in a different way. And I I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I know everyone says parenting teens is hard, but I just couldn't really grasp what they were saying because to me, nothing was harder than being solely relied upon for their every need of the baby years. I just couldn't imagine that the mental toll would be greater once they were, you know, fully formed little people. But I am now at the cusp of seeing why this is so. And it is totally different than what I thought. It's not hard because teens are sassy or whatever, you know, whatever I thought about teens. And again, Lucy's only 12. But it's harder because the stakes seem high. I mean, the stakes are high when you have babies too, of course. But decisions in these years, they feel big. You know, they feel really, really formative with friends, with sports, with academics, with family relationships, like all of these things, it just seems like without putting too much pressure on day-to-day life, it just seems like the stakes are high. And they're watching every decision that we make, that Jeff and I make. Our example matters so much in this time as they're learning how to be people. I love having big kids and I feel like there's this beautiful amazing stretch of time where they're big enough to get their own snack. They're still just so enjoyable and fun, but it doesn't feel like it's a landmine of high stakes all the time. Like maybe from their ages of like six to maybe 10, 11, 12, kind of where we are right now. Time is wonky because, you know, we sort of lost a regular year in the pandemic. And so some of the things that I might have picked up on socially and developmentally with my kids that might have started last year were a little bit behind. We're a year behind. So now as normal life a little bit resumes, I'm like catching on to all of the dynamics that happen with preteens. And so this is making me hyper aware of my presence in their life, my listening ear, my advice giving or not, biting my tongue, (laughs) letting them learn hard lessons, letting them fail, helping them succeed, warning about impending danger in the form of school or people or sports, like all these things, it just feels like we've definitely entered a new dimension. And I think I felt that a little bit before the move, which I already mentioned, that we were starting kind of a new chapter in our family life. I could feel it intuitively. And it's part of the reason I wanted to sort of change up my space. But now it's like just not intuitive. It's like factual. Like there are things that are happening that I want to pay a lot of attention to because I think it really does matter. Their friends, their influences, their screen habits – all this stuff, I don't want to be caught totally unaware of what's going on with my kids, what their life looks like outside of our home. But also, of course, giving them 
age-appropriate autonomy and independence and helping them become future great adults. You know, it's a dance balancing those things. And we have had in 2021, and some of these lessons are still ongoing, some big moments that felt like, yeah, I don't want to give it too much weight, not necessarily like forks in the road, but definitely teachable moments in a bigger sense, not just like the little daily teachable moments. You know, we've had friends move across the country. That was sort of a friend heartbreak. We've had a total difference in our relationship to technology, something that absolutely did not exist in the same way pre-pandemic when we weren't on screens as much. We've had with Lucy this process of applying for middle schools, which is a thing that we're doing here in LA, her current elementary school she will graduate from in the spring. And so now we're in the process of applying to multiple middle schools that feed into high schools and what her next six years will look like. That has come with some really big conversations. And so this takeaway for me, this number nine takeaway that parenting preteens requires full attention was not totally something I saw coming and is not without its own joy and fun and fascination, actually, seeing these people that you raised become decision makers and people on their own journey, if you will. It's a wonderful part of parenthood, but it's not the time to let go of the wheel. And I just didn't know. I just didn't know. But now I do. Which leads me to number 10. My number 10 takeaway of the year. So many of the things I've already walked through on this episode were leading to this moment. Because my number 10 takeaway of 2021 is that I cannot write another book, be a present parent, and be a weekly podcaster all at the same time. Which leads me to share with you that next week's episode, episode 150, will be the last regular episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. And it is bittersweet because I have loved, loved, loved making this show for you. But I know without a doubt that it is absolutely the right decision for me right now. 10 Things to Tell You is almost exactly three years old. I launched it in January of 2019. And I have created 150 regular episodes plus many, many bonus episodes that leads up to hundreds, hundreds of hours of my voice behind this mic and millions, literally millions of downloads of the show. And I am so proud of what we have made here together. I think this is one of the best things I've ever done in my time working on the internet has been some of these episodes, some of these conversations, all of this sharing that has gone down on 10 Things to Tell You. It has changed my life. And so I do not make this decision lightly or easily. I wrestled with how to handle all the things that I learned in 2021. I knew without a doubt earlier this fall that I had to make some really significant work changes, that I had too much on my plate professionally and personally. And when I examined 
what had run its course. It became very clear to me that it was this weekly show, not because I don't love doing it, because I do, but because I have spent the last three plus years telling you my 10 things. And my 10 things, friends, they are told. I have really hammered home some of the most important things that I could impart to you or to anyone about reading, about the mind-body connection, about how your space matters, about journaling, about self-reflection, all of the things that we talk about here. I am passionate about those things. And I could continue repeating them. I could put all of those 10 things to tell you in constant rotation for the next 10 years if I wanted. But I don't think that that serves either of us as well as calling this project completed and successful. Because when I started 10 Things to Tell You, I already had a book in mind. I already knew that I wanted a book companion to go hand in hand with the things that we talk about on this show. And that's exactly what happened. Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First has 10 of the most important questions that you could ask yourself or you could ask others. And it is a tangible extension of the podcast. It's also been in the world for almost a year. And so with these markers, I am feeling like I did it. I shared my stuff. I told my 10 things. I hope that you did too. And we all had a blast doing it. That's how I feel about 10 Things to Tell You. That's how I feel about Share Your Stuff. I'll go first. And I want to close this chapter before we just run the message into the ground, before it becomes repetitive and lame. I want to end this well, and that means ending it now. Now, here's the good news. I'm not going anywhere. I have to write a second book. That's part of this decision is that I cannot do all the things. I simply do not have the literal time or bandwidth. I want to write another book for you. I am going to write another book for you. That's going to be a huge part of my 2022. I'm also on social media like daily. You will still be able to find me and a lot of the content that I love here. I'm going to start just putting on Instagram and Facebook. 10 prompts every quarter, the books I'm reading, those kind of things. All of that will still be free and available, and I will be sharing it on social, obviously in a different format, but the information will be there. If you are looking for a little bit more of the personal content or want to dabble in the book club element, I am keeping secret stuff, that's my Patreon, open until at least August. My commitment there is that I want to keep it going until we get through a second round of Stephen King Summer, because I love it so much. But I will be hosting the other non-Stephen King related book club conversations, symposium conversations, and a monthly personal episode. That will all still be happening over at Secret Stuff until at least August. It's a month-to-month membership. There is no big commitment there in any way. So what will be changing is that there will not be a weekly 10 Things to Tell You episode in your feed after next week, episode 150. Now here is what I am asking you to do. If you were subscribed to this show, I am asking you to not unsubscribe, at least for now. And here's why. While I won't be making a weekly show, I do think there is a possibility 
because I do love podcasting, that I might pop in a couple of times next year with something like a best books of the year episode or something like that. I'm going to leave this feed open. I ask that you stay subscribed. If I decide to come back with another podcast project, I'll definitely want to announce it there because I do love this medium and I can see myself returning to it in some form in the future. But for now, in 2022, I need to write my next book. I need to get myself all the way healthy. I need to be a present mom. And so I have to make some big choices. And one of these choices is calling 10 things to tell you successfully done. Man, saying that out loud was harder than I anticipated, but I know this is the right move and I hope that you can feel it in my voice that I am so honored we've spent all this time together. I am grateful for everything I have learned making this show and I am proud of what has been created here and you are a huge, huge part of it. So thank you. I will be back next week, episode 150, for the penultimate 10 things to tell you, where I really break down the 10 most important things I want to tell you, because that feels like a perfect end to this journey. And this is also the end of my 10 takeaways of 2021. There is just so much happening in this episode. I hope that it sparked your own reflection from the year. If you are posting or sharing any of your own takeaways from the year, I hope that you do tag the show at 10 Things to Tell You on Instagram and Facebook. I'm going to leave those accounts active for a little while, even after episode 150. I do love it when you use the prompts and tag the show. It still gives people a reference point if they want to come browse, look through all the different prompts that are. I've shared over the years on social media. So that's at 10 things to tell you. You also want to make sure that you are following my personal account at Laura.Tremaine on Instagram, Ms. Laura Tremaine on Facebook. Those accounts, of course, remain beyond whatever creative project I am working on. And I will always post there what's coming for me in the future because I do think something is, even though I don't know exactly what that might look like, I am creating space in 2022 for new opportunities, something new that might flow my way. Although please don't let it flow my way until I've finished my second book, because that really is my priority in the first half of 2022. It has been such a joy to share my 10 takeaways from the year, even though this last one was hard. I cannot wait to see what the future holds. I'll see you back here next week, episode 150 the last of 10 things to tell you. Thanks for listening. Now go share something. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 things to tell you podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 things to tell you.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 Things to Tell You. 
These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.